Good evening, everybody. Good to see you tonight on a stormy evening. That's okay, and here it's good. Can I have you turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1? Now, some of you are smirking. <laughs> let, me just, let me just say this one more time. Genesis is so foundational to everything, the rest of the Scriptures and our lives, nation, everything, especially the first 11 chapters, but primarily the first three chapters. That's what we've been kind of taking our time through these chapters, and we'll pick it up once we get past here, but uh, we don't want to rush through these things, all right? Now, last week, we got as far as verse 23, but let, let me back up a little bit to verse 20, get a running start on today's study. Then God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures, and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And he blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. And last week we talked about the creative genius of God and how he has designed different creatures with different abilities that perfectly fulfill certain roles. Even the creepy, crawly things we're going to talk about tonight a little bit, uh, they kind of gross you out, but every one of them has been designed by God for a purpose. And we talked last week as we were talking about the fifth day of creation and how God made the sea creatures and he made the birds of the air. We talked about the golden plover, uh, which mates up in the Arctic Circle and then makes a 2,500-mile journey down to central and southern South America. Uh, and God has designed this creature with this incredible navigational system. And, uh, and then, as I said, the, 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 the mother takes off a couple of weeks before the chicks are born. And then they need a couple, three weeks to get strong enough, and then they take off for South America. You know, how do they know how to do that? How do they know they're supposed to go to South America? All right? And how do they know how to get there? Because God has created them with this, uh, he's programmed them. But it's like that for all, all kinds of creatures. You know, I don't know about you, but I love, uh, look, you know, I love the watching uh, animal uh, programs, Animal Planet, uh, any documentaries on animals. I love to uh, see how God has made them uh, because I just see the hand of God and I just it, it moves me to worship God more deeply because he's so wise, isn't he? And as I was studying for this study, uh, I came across uh, some interesting facts about the woodpecker, and in particular the red cockadid woodpecker, that God has created with these uh, four very sharp uh Claws, okay, that, that can that can latch on and hold onto uh, a pine tree. They like to build their homes in these long needle pines. So they get up there and they grab onto this thing and they begin to peck away, and they they peck a, a hole deep enough for them to then nestle inside. That becomes their little burrow where they where they nest. Now their main predator is the uh, rat snake, and the rat snake is able to climb trees. So what the little woodpecker does is he pecks a hole above his little nest 
and a hole below the nest so that the resin from the pine tree seeps out. And when the rat snake comes in contact with this resin, it gets all gummy, can't climb anymore, falls off the tree, you know. Of course, these little holes have to be maintained every day to keep the resin flowing. But do you realize that a woodpecker can peck 500 times in a minute? That's eight pecks per second. With a speed, they, their little sharp beak hits that tree at 13 miles an hour. That's about the same speed if you were running full blast. I'm talking about somebody athletic, not me, but somebody, wait. Somebody athletic was running full blast, puts his head down and runs right into a tree. That's about the same kind of an imp- Try that 500 times in a minute. But God has designed this, the woodpecker, that they have a, um, a, a cushioning system, shock-absorbing system that, you know, cushions their little brains so they don't peck their brains out. And I, and I was also studying about a, a, a certain fish, and I've seen this on an animal program. It's called an archer fish, okay, archer fish. And God has designed these uh, little fish where um, they have a chamber in their mouths, and if they load themselves up with some water and then they compress their gills quickly, they have the ability to shoot out a laser-like stream of water that can like, accurate to five feet. What do they do with this? It's amazing. You, you really have to go YouTube this. Uh, what they do is you see them, and they fire this thing, this stream of water, and knock insects like flies and other things off of leaves from tree branches that are hanging over the water. Okay? And they will shoot. I've, it's amazing. The first time I saw this, I couldn't believe it. They, they, they pick off these insects, hit them with the water, knock them into the water, and get them. Okay? <laughs> now, from what I understand, they can, they can hunt for food like normal fish. They like to do it this way. They like to go hunting. Maybe that's why they're called archer fish. It's like they're, they're launching this projectile. Amazing creatures. Also, read about the hermit crab. The hermit crabs are soft. They don't have shells of their own. So they have to pick up shells from other creatures that have discarded them. But the way God's designed them, they use their back legs to walk on, and they don't really use their front claws to walk with or anything. And they can... Their, their back legs, they can kind of twist and they screw themselves into this shell. And then with their left claw, they hold on to the shell and their right claw is actually larger than their left claw and they use it to kind of shut the door. And it becomes the door into the shell, all nice and secure. Now, just in case uh, any predator can maybe get at them, they have a, a, a symbiotic relationship with uh, the sea anemone. The sea anemone, anemone is a poisonous creature. They have little barbs on their bodies that poison uh, other fish and predators. But they like partnering with the hermit crab. And what they'll do is they will attach themselves to this host shell. And, of course, they ward off uh, predators from the hermit crab, getting at the hermit crab. But uh, the hermit crab rewards them by letting them feast from the leftovers of what the hermit crab doesn't finish. And when the hermit crab outgrows the shell, it has to move into a larger shell, the little anemone comes with him. Okay? It's amazing. We can go all night. I'll give you one more. I thought the sea, I thought the sea cucumber was interesting. What's a sea cucumber? 
it's kind of a spineless looking slug, okay? And it's got a, a, a mouth on one end, all right, and with some tentacles all around the mouth. And what it does is with these tentacles, it kind of grabs little tiny shrimp and plankton, uh, you know, in the water, and then, you know, brings each tentacle to the mouth and kind of kind of sucks off the little food, kind of like you would lick your fingers if you dipped them in a bowl of frosting or a bowl of cookie dough batter, that kind of thing. Just kind of, that, that's what they do. I thought this was really fascinating, though. They have a real interesting defense mechanism. And that is that when a predator gets close, they have the ability to, listen, eject their inner organs. And that usually placates any predator because, you know, you, they eject this, uh, all their, their inside, and the predator enjoys that, and at least, you know, they figure it's good enough, you know. And it's okay because they have the ability to regenerate all their inner organs. You know, who can say that these things came about by chance, accidents, random mutations? We see the hand of God in all these creatures. Every one of them screams design, which points to a designer. And it's the height of folly to look at the creatures that God has made and say they evolved by chance and accidents, you know, without any divine input. So all the birds and sea creatures were created by God on the fifth day of creation. Verse 24, then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth, each according to its kind, and so and it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Now, once again, the biblical record makes it very clear that these creatures did not evolve, did not evolve from lower forms of life, sea life, birds. God created them instantaneously. All these groups and uh, these categories because he wants us to know that, look, they did not evolve. They appear uh, instantly in the record, okay? And uh, he uh, categorizes them, cattle, creeping things, beasts of the earth. The Hebrew word translated cattle is a word that speaks of livestock and uh, animals that are capable of being domesticated, like sheep, goats, oxen, as well as cattle. Creeping things, I think that would include reptiles, Insects, um, perhaps small mammals, uh, even rodents, mice, and squirrels and things. And the beasts of the earth uh, would include large mammals like lions, bears, elephants, and probably dinosaurs, which we touched on last week. The Bible does talk about dinosaurs. Job, the oldest book in the Bible, talks about a, uh, a land dinosaur called Behemoth and a sea dinosaur called Leviathan. And... Uh, in verse 24, when God says, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind. Listen, he isn't saying that the earth will bring forth life in the sense that it's gonna, life is going to generate from the dirt or something like that. I believe that when God said this, he was alluding to the fact that the creatures he made are composed, listen, of the very same elements of the earth. 
And this is affirmed in chapter 2, verse 19, where we read, Out of the ground the Lord, uh, out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So God made all the animals out of the dust of the earth. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says that God even made uh, Adam out of the dust of the ground. And I did a little research today uh, to verify what I've I've always believed, because I've heard this before, but I wanted to verify. I went online, and I checked with different sources online, different experts and things, and sure enough, this is exactly accurate. Let me read to you what one author said. He said, and I quote, What are the scientific proof uh, that man's body came from the dust of the ground, as the Bible says? The human body is made up of materials and minerals found on the surface of the ground, not from the core of the earth, as in the dust of the earth. Okay? He said, The 59 elements found in the human body are all found on the earth's crust or the dust of the earth. This is amazing because what the Bible says perfectly matches the scientific composition of the human body. And that's just one author. I've read several that all said the same thing, gave the different compositions. I didn't want to bore you with all the details, but, but the same elements that make up our... And sometimes people will say that. They'll say, well, you know, that, uh, that you know, you're just uh, the same elements that make up, make up man, make up animals. So we're evolved from animals. No, God said he made us all from the dust of the earth. It's just proving what God has said. And so out of the dust of the earth, God made man, all the other animals he created. And when we die, or they die, our bodies decompose and go back to the dust of the earth from which they were created. Genesis 3, verse 19. God said, In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Now, that's the body, all right? The body will, the body is of the earth, made for the earth. When it dies, it will return back to the dust of the earth. As believers, when our body dies, our soul and spirit move out to be with the Lord. Paul said, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Our body sleeps, in a sense, was what the New Testament says, because it's going to be awakened someday at the rapture, which is the resurrection of the just. All right? So if somebody tells you that there is such a thing as soul sleep, that's wrong, because the soul does not sleep. We know that from Luke chapter 16, when the, um, uh, when the wealthy man uh, died, uh, who wouldn't help Lazarus, who was laid by his gate every day, a diseased beggar, and the rich man would not help him. When he died, he lifted up his eyes in Hades in torment, right? Fully conscious. And so was Lazarus. So we don't sleep in death. Our soul and spirit do not sleep. They go to be with the Lord if we're Christians. If not, they go into Hades, a holding tank until the great white throne judgment. But what sleeps is the body. And at the time of the rapture, if you're a Christian... Well, God's going to resurrect this body, glorify it instantly, and reunite it with our soul and our spirit. But while we're on the earth, we live in a body that's made for the earth. As Paul said, this corruption can't put on incorruption. This mortal can't put on immortality. Excuse me. This corruption, this body cannot inherit 
the kingdom of heaven because it, it wasn't made for that dimension, uh, dimensionality. It was made for earth. It has to put on incorruption. It, this mortal has to put on immortality. Words, I have to be transformed to give my new body to where I can enjoy. And I'm still waiting for that. I don't know about you. Uh, I've I pretty much worn this model out. All right. I feel like I'm driving one of those old Volkswagen buses that the hippies used to drive in the 60s in the early days of Calvary. You know, you try to paint it up a little bit, you, you're not going to, you know, it, it just doesn't cut it anymore. I'm waiting for that Ferrari when I climb into that baby. But anyways, um, but these creeping things, all right, that God made. I, I don't know what it is. I love watching videos on these little creepy insects and things. In fact, one Saturday... I got uh, caught up in watching one YouTube after another, about an hour. They were showcasing the various insects and various things, and fascinating. Then they started matching this one with that one in hypothetical contests. I, I was into it. I was watching the thing for about an hour, right? But one of the insects I found fascinating uh, is uh, one called the bombardier beetle. I went online today to refresh my memory, and they had some actual YouTube footage of uh, these bombardier beetles. They're, they live out in the southwest, okay, New Mexico and so on. These are a real baffle. The woodpecker is too. But the bombardier beetle is a, baffles evolutionists to no end. Why is that? Because these creatures, uh, they make uh, two different kinds of chemicals that are stored in reservoirs, separate reservoirs in their abdomen. These chemicals uh, by themselves are harmless. But when mixed together, they explode. Now, the bombardier beetle can't fly away real fast. And so ants are its predator. And what it'll do is, when, and I was watching this, when the ants crawl up on this beetle, it will use this, this uh, ability to create an explosion. And, 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 and they can do five of these rapid fire. And if the ant gets too close to the place where the, the jet turret which could be directed in different directions, uh, it could blow the ant's head off, okay? And what happens is when, they, when, when predators are, are threatening, they have to pump these two chemicals from their separate reservoirs into a combustion chamber right in, near the tip, this jet, which they use then to fire it out, and they have to do it with such precision because they, they mix it together and have to fire it at just a precise moment where it's going to explode right outside of them. And when the chemicals mix together and are fired, they instantly reach uh, the temperature of boiling water. And, and they explode and they, they repel most any predator. If they do it just a second late, they blow themselves up. So with great precision, these little creatures... And what baffles the evolutionists is you have all these components that have to be there ready to work together. They can't evolve separately or the creature will never survive. You've got to have both chemical reservoirs, both chemicals being able to be produced. You have to have the combustion chamber. You have to have the ability to fire it out to this jet propulsion tip. Evolutionists, you know, and they just say, well, it just evolved. That's so ridiculous. All these things have to be there working simultaneously for this thing to have survived. It, it, just, it just so clearly speaks about, about our creator. These, these little creatures were designed, right? 
Well, the final category in Genesis chapter 1, verses 24 and 5, um, uh, embraces all the other land creatures. The beasts of the earth is just a general categorization for all the beasts of the earth would include an ele elephants, lions, tigers, giraffes, you know, bears, wolves, coyotes, uh, all these large uh, animals, mammals, and so on, and uh, and uh, all the things that would not fit in the cattle and creeping things categories. But this beasts of the earth, this category probably also uh, includes uh, now extinct species of dinosaurs. Again, as we have said, uh, dinosaurs were a reality. They walk the earth. We have the fossil records. We have the bones. Uh, the Bible talks about them. So where are they? Uh, many believe they died out in the flood or shortly after the flood because you remember, we'll talk about this more in chapter 6, that right after the flood, the climate changed dramatically around the earth. And many of these uh, species died out. Um, in fact, uh, human lifespans began to drop dramatically as well. We'll talk about why we get to chapter 6. But we just see that uh, God made such a variety of, of creatures uh, on, the, on the sixth day. But even though we see the incredible design and abilities that God built into each of these creatures, listen, nothing he created so far comes close to the crowning work of his creation, which took place next. Verse 26 then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Now, in the Hebrew, that's really the same thing. I'll talk about more, that more in a moment. It's not two different things. It's really the same thing, emphasizing uh, the second emphasizing the first. God said, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing, that creeps on the earth, so man was to have dominion over all of that was created up to that point. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Look, as remarkable as the different species of birds, sea creatures, animals, insects are, none of them compares to man who alone, listen, was made in the image of God. When God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, again, those were not two separate things. Be careful because some People, some commentators want to say they're both separate things. And then they come up with some bizarre interpretations. Actually, it's just Hebrew parallelism, which means one is emphasizing the other. It's the same thing, really, okay? So when God, it's God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, just the same thing, basically. Um, let us make man like us. Okay, we'll see how uh, in just a moment. But first of all, let me uh, say this. When... We talk about how God made us, made man, in his image. What exactly does that mean? Well, I think, first of all, it's tied to the plurality of God. Look at, let us make man. This is a clear reference to the tri-unity of God. That he is a trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that together 
They are th three separate persons who make up one God. Now, there are those like the Jehovah's Witnesses who deny the Trinity. And when I have taken them to this passage where God said, let us make man, you know, and said, so what do you say about this? Here God's talking to himself, let us. You don't believe in the Trinity, what's going on here? They say, well, he's just talking to angels there. Well, nowhere in Scripture are angels ever said to create. Okay? Only God creates. What's the Hebrew word? Bara. means to create out of nothing. Only God can do that. Angels are pretty spectacular beings. But they cannot create out of nothing. So this is an attribute of God. This is something that only God can do. And of course, this takes us back to the very first verse in Genesis, where we read, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the word God there is plural. In Hebrew, they can, uh, can put a, a noun in the singular. Uh, well, we can only put it in the singular or in the plural. They have another, uh, they can do a singular, a dual, and then a three or more, a plural. So the word for God, Hebrew meaning one God, is El. God meaning two gods, Elah. God meaning three or more, Elohim. Now we know it's three, of course, the Trinity. But as we pointed out in Genesis 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God, plural, created, singular verb, the heavens and the earth. That's grammatically incorrect, but Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is trying to communicate to us the triunity or the trinity of God. And the same thing is going on here in verse 26. Then God, Elohim, plural, said, singular verb in the Hebrew, let us, plural, make man in our image. And so here again we are introduced to the plurality of God, although he's three, he's one. He's a trinity. Now, when it says here that God made man in his image, after his likeness, I've heard this, maybe you have too, there are some who interpret this to mean that God actually made man to look like himself. So we look like God. And I've heard preachers go with this, I'm thinking, man, get a commentary. You know, read a book. I mean, God is spirit. He has no form. I can't look like God. He's spirit. He has no form. What's being said here is that just as God is a trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so he made man a tripartite being of spirit, soul, and body. But that's not all that was involved in, this, in the idea of God making us in his image. Also, like God, man has been given the ability to think and communicate in abstract concepts. That's something only man can do. And God, of course, the angels too. We have the ability given to us by our Creator to think and communicate in abstract concepts. Somebody said years ago that a language of pictures would be so much more... Um, meaningful, communicative than words. Because as the old saying goes, a picture is worth a thousand words. Wrong. 
any language that is communicated through pictures is a primitive language. Because if you want to communicate abstract concepts like truth, justice, mercy, grace, forbearance, what pictures are you going to paint to represent those concepts? Jesus, well, you know, all right, you know what he looked like? Because I, you know. The idea is we don't think in pictures. We think in abstract concepts because God created us that way because he can think in those terms. Man has been created also with the laws of God written in his heart. In other words, man is a moral being, unlike any Animal. I mean, animals don't have that capacity. They're not moral beings. God wrote his laws in our hearts, the Bible says. One author put it this way. He said, and I quote, Before the image of God and man was marred by sin, Adam shared in a pure and undefiled way all the communicable attributes of God. These would include holiness, wisdom, goodness, truth, love, grace, mercy, long-suffering, and, uh, and righteousness, end quote. That's all involved in what it means to be made in his image. Another attribute that God created man with is that like his creator, he has been given the ability to be creative. We have the ability to imagine, don't we? To think, to invent, to make things that go beyond anything lower forms of life can do. Now, once in a while, you'll hear somebody Obviously not a Christian, really, because they're trying to elevate the animal kingdom up to where we are and basically make it seem like we're just a different species of animal. And I've heard this. Well, you realize that animals are much more evolved than human beings in many areas. Some animals can fly. Some of them have tremendous strength, unlike us. Some of them are extremely um, gifted hunters. Well, that's true. Man was not built or created with those attributes. But God gave man the ability to think, to imagine, to invent, so that we've created flying machines that far surpass anything in nature. He's given us the ability to create machines using hydraulics that are much stronger than any animal in nature. And he's given us the ability, which we've unfortunately used in some wrong ways to create weapons whereby we can be more effective hunters than any other creature in nature. So man is far superior to the animal kingdom in so many ways, okay? But most of all, unlike other creatures, man has been given the ability by God to worship him and enjoy him forever. To worship God and enjoy him Forever. Only man can worship. Only man can worship. And that more than anything else separates him from the animal kingdom. But you know what, guys? I see something else here that I think maybe even more gets to the point of what it means to be made in God's image. When God said, let me paraphrase, let us make man like us, what is God? Well, he's holy, he's righteous, and so on. But what is God? He is a relational being. His very nature, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, speaks of a relationship. A relationship built on love, communication. And when God made us in his image, 
And after his likeness, he gave us the ability to have relationships, deep relationships with others, okay, other human beings. In fact, it starts in the home with marriage, doesn't it? We're going to see that when God created man, he eventually said it is not good that man should live alone. So we have been given the uh, ability by God to have, what's the word? Fellowship. Fellowship. And that's important when you talk about living our lives as human beings. We need fellowship. The worst thing you can do to a person is put them in solitary confinement to cut them off from other human beings. That because there's something innate in us that God has put there. We need each other. We need fellowship. And God put that need in all of us and that ability to have fellowship for one main reason. Yes, it's nice to have fellowship with each other. But God made us for the purpose of having fellowship with himself. God is love. God is transcendent. God doesn't need us. God didn't need man for anything. But because God is love, he wanted to share his love with others. And so he made man for the purpose of sharing his love and having fellowship with other human beings, with human beings, which to me is absolutely incredible to think about, right? He made us for the very purpose of having fellowship with him, which was interrupted, listen, by man's sin, restored by Jesus Christ, and entered into for all eternity by our faith. And yes, only man was created for eternity. We all know that. Well, maybe some don't know it. I mean, I get people asking me all the time, are animals in heaven? I, you know, I, I don't see that, but I mean, I'm not going to, you know. I, I personally believe the Bible teaches only man was created for eternity. And all other creatures that God has made, well, they were only created for time. When they die, they cease to exist. They cease to exist. Only man is going to go on living forever in one of two places, either in heaven or in hell. You don't have to turn to it, but Matthew 25, verse 46, remember what Jesus said? He's talking about the sheep and the goats and the separation when he comes of the nations. And the goats are unbelievers. The sheep represent believers. And he said in Matthew 25, verse 46, And these, the goats, or the unbelievers, will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous believers into everlasting life. And right there, for any of your friends or co-workers who want to tell you that heaven's forever, but hell is not, just take them to Matthew 25, verse 46. Because both are talking about the same verse and both are called eternal. They're eternal places. Now, here's the thing. The scriptures say that someday, someday, the entire physical universe, which was initially created good by God, as we've already seen, but has since been corrupted by man's sin, someday, the entire physical fallen universe is going to be destroyed and replaced with a new heaven's a new earth, a perfect environment where redeemed people will live forever. Let me just read to you from Second Peter 3, verses 10 and 13. 
Peter said there is coming a day when the heavens will pass away with a great noise. That's the big bang. Okay? Just happens at the end, not the beginning. <laughs> the heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with fervent heat. And both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Why? Because when Adam fell, Romans 8, he didn't just blow it for humankind. The, all of God's creation was corrupted. We, we can't get our minds around it, really. But the entire universe, that one act set in motion some pretty devastating consequences. We know physical death was a result of Adam's sin. Romans 5, verse 12. But the whole creation became corrupted. That's why Paul said in Romans 8, personifying the creation like it was, it was a person, says the whole creation groans and travails together in birth pangs, waiting for the new heavens, the new earth to be birthed, where, it can, you know, where, where creation is restored. Well, in this context, actually it's replaced. The old corrupted creation that we have just been studying which in chapter 3 gets corrupted by man's sin, God's going to wipe it out one day. He's going to vaporize it. He's going to replace it with a new universe, a new heaven, a new earth. Peter goes on to say, verse 13, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth, in which, listen, righteousness dwells. Because God said after every day of creation, it is good, it is good, it is good. At the very end, he steps back from the canvas of creation. I think it's verse 20, uh, verse 31, and looks and says, it is all good. It is all good. So God created a good universe and a good world. So chapter 3, we see how man disobeyed God in the garden and corrupted the whole deal. And so God doesn't try to patch it up. He just wipes it out and starts over. And he is going to give to us someday as the redeemed of the Lord a perfect world, a perfect universe to live in. And again, I, you know, I could be wrong. I personally think that the reason God made the universe so large is because it's going to take us eternity to, eternity to explore it. I mean, if this, when you look through a powerful telescope or you look at pictures of the Hubble, the Hubble telescope is taken, you see the galaxies and the beauty. And you realize this is just, this is beautiful. But this is a fallen universe. What's a redeemed or a, or a glorified or a perfect universe going to look like? It's amazing. But listen, all of creation is moving toward one ultimate immutable climax. A community of redeemed people from every nation and tribe and tongue and people who will worship God and enjoy Him forever. And as I've said before, let me say it again. You have 31 verses in Genesis chapter 1 devoted to the creation. The rest of the Bible is devoted to the subject of redemption. The subject of redemption. If I was to ask somebody, and you've heard me say this before, so it's no big deal for you guys. You know what I've, I've taught this. But if you were to ask someone, believer, what was the purpose of God redeeming us? I guarantee you most of them would tell you to keep us from going to hell. Hey, look, <laughs> I enjoy that. 
Okay, that's a, that's a good one. All right? It's not the real reason, though. It's not the, not the number one reason God redeemed us. Look, if the whole purpose of saving us was to keep us from going to hell, I got news for you. Don't create us in the first place. Then nobody goes to hell. The real purpose for God creating us and redeeming us would be to gather a community of people, redeem men and women, who would be true what? Worshippers. John 4, the Father is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, you've got to be saved before you can become a true worshiper. So that was necessary to get to the real goal, which was to make you and I worshipers. And all of creation is going to culminate. Revelation talks about this. All of creation is going to culminate in a worshiping community that, that surrounds the throne of God and worships the Lord and enjoys Him forever. And believe me, you say, well, aren't we going to get bored? Yeah, we're, we, we can't put on a new Christian CD, music-wise. We listen to it a few times, we're already bored of it, Right? But God says, I'm going to make all things new. And I believe what that means in part is nothing. the worship of God will never get stale. Heaven, you'll never yawn as you're walking the streets of heaven. Well, I've seen this before, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're never going to yawn. You're never going to, it's never going to be old. It's going to always be, fr- how is that possible? I don't know. But the, but the millionth time you worship the Lord in heaven will be just like the first time. Nothing will ever get stale. Nothing will ever become routine. Joy unspeakable, full of glory forever and ever and ever. Now, because of all this, okay, not only is it proper to say that man was the crowning work of God's creation on day six, or for all the days, really, let me say it's, it's, it's not wrong to say the whole creation up until this point was made for man. All right? Not only was man the crowning work of God's creation over the whole six days, but especially the sixth day, but up until this point, all of creation was made purposely for man. John MacArthur said, and I quote, the creation of the human race was the central object of God's creative purpose from the beginning. In an important sense, everything else was created for humanity. And every step of creation up until this point had one main purpose, to prepare a perfect environment for Adam. In other words, the unfolding of creation establishes a theater in which the great redemptive saga can be played out. Man is the main character. God's own son even becomes a man at the climax of of redemption's drama. This is the purpose for which the entire universe was created, so that God's grace, mercy, and compassion could be lavished on this creature whom he had created in his own image. In the end, the theater is destroyed. It is a profound and humbling thought, end quote. That all of creation was for the purpose of man being redeemed and living with God forever. Man worships the the creation today instead of the creator, not realizing the creation is nothing compared to the creator 
And in fact, the creation was made subject to man because man alone was made in God's image for a purpose, which is to worship him for, for eternity. And guys, all of this was made possible because man was created by God with purpose and for a purpose. Made by God on purpose, I should say, for a purpose. Look, it is absolutely, and I don't want your eyes to glaze over a little bit here, but try to stay with me, all right? It's absolutely absurd to think that something as complex and intricate as the human body, listen, could be the result of billions of accidents and mutations in the genetic process. That's, that's absurd. In fact, scientists have never observed mutations in cells making the cell better. Just the opposite is true. Things are not evolving from simple to complex. They're devolving. This is because of a basic fundamental law which Einstein said he was sure would never be disproved. We've talked about it already. The second law of thermodynamics, the law of entropy, which says that everything is moving from order to disorder. Things are wearing out, rusting, and decaying. Our bodies, well, they're growing older, they're wearing out, someday they're going to die, and eventually they're going to decay. This is a basic law of our fallen, let me underline that, our fallen wasn't what God made. This is not what God wanted in the beginning. He didn't make us subject to death. That was the result of sin. But this is a basic law of our fallen universe, and it stands in direct opposition to the theory of evolution. Look, scientists used to teach that we evolved from what they called the simple cell. Why did they call it the simple cell? Because they didn't know the cell. They were ignorant of the complexity of the human cell. In fact, uh, in fact uh, Darwin said that he believed that the cell was no more complex than a ping-pong ball. And many scientists back then agreed with him. That is, until the electron microscope was invented and DNA was discovered. DNA, as you know, is the basic building block of life found in each of our cells. Each DNA molecule is so complex it carries all the information needed to completely clone you, including your height, your skin color, your hair color, your eye color, the length of your uh, fingernails, your facial features. There is enough genetic information stored in each DNA molecule in our bodies to make an exact copy of each one of us, an exact copy. In fact, DNA is so complex the scientists have estimated that because of its complexity, the chance of a DNA molecule, listen, forming by accident, which is what the evolutionists believe, is, listen to this, 1 in 10 to the 130th power. That number is so big that the chance that DNA, and therefore life itself, was a result of random chance and accidental, accidental mutations is, listen, mathematically impossible. But let's for a moment investigate the possibility of it occurring by chance. And let's assume that there was one chance of this happening every second since science says the universe began six billion years ago. I'm not saying that. They say that. The universe is six billion years old. Okay. Well, if there was a chance that a DNA molecule could form by accident, a chance every second for six billion years... That's only 10 to the 17th power seconds in 6 billion years. 
Okay, well, let's take one of those seconds and divide it by a thousand. Then take one one thousandth of that second divided by another thousand. That's called a microsecond, a millionth of a second. Let's take that microsecond, divide it by a thousand. Now you've got what's called a nanosecond, a billionth of a second. There's only 10 to the 26 nanoseconds in 6 billion years. Guys, there's not enough time. There's absolutely not enough. It doesn't even come close to the 1 in 10 to the 130th power chance factor that you need for even the chance of one DNA molecule to have happened by accident. And it proves to any rational person the statistical absurdity of the theory of evolution. Again, John MacArthur in his book, The Battle for the Beginning, says with regard to this, and I quote, The DNA code is analogous to a computer's program. DNA contains the information that enables the organism to reproduce, preserve, and repair itself. The the genetic structure of every living organism limits that organism to what it is, no more, no less. There is no genetic information that that can enable an organism to transform itself into something it is not. The more science discovers about genetics, the more of a problem it poses for the doctrine of evolution. Consider some facts about genetics. Where did this genetic information come from? It's coded into our DNA. Like, like, the, like the, the software in your computer. I'm thinking of the BIOS, uh, the brain of your computer, the operating system. Somebody put that in there. Without the operating system, your computer is not doing anything. Did that just come about by accident? Wasn't there a designer? A computer programmer who wrote, or probably many, who wrote that operating system, loaded it into that computer to allow that computer to function? MacArthur asked the same question. He said, where did this genetic information come from? It certainly didn't come out of nowhere. It should be obvious to all that it didn't just fall into place by accident or by random chance. Well, what about mutations? People think mutations are the answer to everything. MacArthur said, we know that genes sometimes mutate. Changes occur in the DNA structure that cause changes in the appearance of creatures. Could a series of random mutations explain how one species evolved into another? Certainly not, MacArthur says. Mutations can alter or destroy existing information in an organism's genetic code, but they cannot add new information. Mutations are genetic mistakes. They can cause a form of evolution known as microevolution, where the characteristics of a species are slightly altered. Different breeds of dogs, different families of horses are products of microevolution. But genetic mistakes cannot explain macroevolution, the theoretical process by which a whole new species is formed, or where a simple form of life evolves into a higher, more complex form of life. That's macroevolution. They have never observed that happening ever, ever. He said, well, it's easy to understand how a species of insect might, through genetic mutations, lose its wings and its ability to fly. There is no known genetic process that might explain how any species of non-flying creatures could develop anything as complex as wings and aerodynamic capabilities, end quote. Professor Richard Goldschmidt, a geneticist at the University of California at Berkeley, 
said this. And I was reading about this gentleman. He's not a Christian. But he made, and I condensed what he said, when he began to present some of these things to his colleagues, they, they went after him with a viciousness. They were calling him nut. Why are scientists so, wow, crazy when you challenge evolution? Because it's not science, guys. Listen, it is scientism. It's a faith system. It is their God. And when you challenge somebody's God, look out. But here's a gentleman who's being honest. Talking about mutations. And now everyone thinks, oh, mutations. That's how things evolved into higher forms of life. He said, and I quote, to suppose that such a random event, genetic mutations, could reconstruct even a single complex organ like a liver or kidney is about as reasonable as to suppose that an improved watch can be designed by throwing an old watch against the wall, end quote. Hey, I could save him a lot of trouble. Psalm 100, verse 3. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us, and not we ourselves. Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14. For you formed my inward you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works that my soul knows very well. Hey, just read your Bible. You want truth? You want to know what's going on? Read your read the word. Alright, let's just end with verses twenty six and seven. Again, verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created, now listen, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. In the Hebrew, Genesis 1 verse 27 is in the emphatic, uh, male and female, or in the emphatic position, excuse me, giving the sense of the one male and the one female is the idea. The one male and the one female. In other words, God did not create a group of males and females who could pick and choose mates as suited them. There were no spares or options. There was no provision or even the possibility for multiple or alternative spouses. We'll talk about this a little more get to chapter 2. There was only one man and one woman in the beginning. And for that very reason, first and foremost, divorce and remarriage was not an option. And I bring that up because Jesus quotes this verse. When they came to him and said, well, you know... Uh, Moses said we can put away our wives if we found some uncleanness in her. We can divorce her for any reason. What do you say? And he quotes this verse in presenting a teaching that says, look, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, allowed you to divorce your wives and remarry. But from the beginning it was not so. Have you not read that in the beginning God made the one man and the one woman and put them together in a lifelong union called marriage? 
He did that. He could have created a group of men and a group of women. He said, pick one you, whatever one you want. He purposely made the one man, the one woman, to lay down a pattern that we are joined to one person for the rest of our lives or the rest of their lives. And we are not to divorce and remarry, you know, I mean, unless there's unfaithfulness. But God did this for a reason. He laid down this, this, this principle. So there was no, there was no option for divorce and remarriage, and neither, listen, was there for homosexuality. Didn't say God created uh, Adam and Steve. God created Adam and Eve. There was no chance for homosexuality, as well as marriage, uh, divorce and remarriage. Look. One of the saddest signs of the breakdown and depravity that is taking hold in our society, the breakdown of society and the depravity that is filling our, our, our culture is gender confusion and the rise of homosexuality. The fall and rebellion of man against all that God has ordained, especially in the area of sexuality, and the roles of men and women in society and in family has led to the battle of the sexes, role reversals, men acting, like, men acting like women, women acting like men. In short, our society is breaking down and becoming a chaotic mess, all because man has rejected God's design. As one author put it, and we'll close with this, in our day, many say there is no real difference between men and women. This makes sense if we are the result of mindless evolution, but not if man was created by God. Since he created them male and female, the differences are good and meaningful. Men are not women and women are not men. It is vain to wonder if men or women are superior to the other. A man is absolutely superior at being a man. A woman is absolutely superior at being a woman. But when a man tries to be a woman or a woman tries to be a man, you have something inferior, end quote. And so we're seeing it today. And we'll leave it there, all right? And uh, we will pick it up next week, getting into chapter 2, when God now, um, after he lays out the six days of creation quickly, he zeroes in on day 6 to focus on the creation of man. Because man becomes central to the theme of the Bible, which is redemption. And we'll look at that next time. Father, we thank you for just, Lord, giving us your word. Your word is light. If we walk in its light, we won't stumble in darkness. Lord, many who profess to be wise um, have really become fools. They're smart people. But they've been blinded because they reject your truth. They reject your word. And once a person rejects the truth of your word, they are left to grope in the darkness of man's wisdom and drink from the philosophical world's wells of the wisdom of man which are polluted and will poison him and her. And so, Lord, thank you that you've given us, given us living water to drink from, the water of your word. And we pray, Lord, that you'll continue to bless these studies for your glory. Father, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.